been a while. I've been gone for about a week and a half, and I've missed you all very dearly, and I am so happy to be back home. I want to go ahead and welcome all our visitors. We are glad you were able to join us this morning, and we hope that you'll study along with us in the Word and, and pray with us and worship with us. In Colossians chapter 3, that's where we're going to begin this morning, um, we read a passage about roles in the New Testament, and I think that passage projects very well to today. So uh, Colossians chapter 3, and beginning in verse 22. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the, wrong, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven." Most of us have been blessed with the opportunity to work, to have a job, to be in a career. In fact, I think most of us look forward to that when we're young. We want to grow up. We want to have that role. But once we do, I know I do in this aspect, questions seem to pop up. Why am I working? What's the purpose of this? Why should I go to work when work is hard and difficult and I just, I just don't like it anymore? Does work really matter if when I die, all my stuff is left here? Sometimes these questions can drive us to either give up or just stay in a complacent kind of mindset that, well, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do, and that's that. God has expectations for our work. God has expectations for why we work and for how we work. And I want us to flush that out this morning because I think it's very important for us as Christians to have these answers, because without that, we can just become rote or complacent in our lives. Or even when we have a job, when we have a career, our focus can be more about that, and we can shape things into, well, maybe if I can fit that around my work schedule, then, then it'll be okay. If we're not careful, our work can consume us. It can make us who we don't want to be. It can change our priorities to where we worship less and are focused more about the, the business hours or the office. So part of being a Christian is understanding then the role work has in our life. And one of the reasons I turn to Colossians chapter 3 is because of this, this idea here in the end of the chapter. It lays out some, some roles for the bond servants, for the masters, and then overall for everyone. But we're going to get, that, get to that in a minute. So as we begin, we're going to talk about the Christian career. Now, I have to be very clear in what I'm saying. In Colossians 3 and other New Testament passages, it talks about a bondservant or a master. I do not believe we are slaves as in this passage. In fact, we aren't. Our society is very different. But we still have some of the same ideas that come from this. As in, the slaves in these passages were meant to complete a task before them. Us in our jobs are meant to complete tasks before us. The masters are supposed to be kind and, and careful with their employee, employee or slaves. Employers are meant to do the same. And so as we look through these passages that do mention slaves and masters, just look with me at the ideas or concepts that come from it. But before we get to that, we have to answer the question, why does work matter? If you'll turn with me to Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes is a wonderful book. Sometimes it's a confusing book. But it's really quite wonderful when you dig into it. It's written by King Solomon, who in the Bible was granted wisdom by God and is the wisest man in all of earth. 
And he has some really wise sayings in this book. This book, he ponders different things of life, what makes life worth it. And one of those questions comes up in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to a place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new, it has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of the former things, nor will there be any remembrance of the latter things, yet to be among those who come after. Solomon starts off Ecclesiastes in almost a dreary kind of way, but all along this passage right here, we see the question, why does it matter? Everything toils to all utter weariness. The rivers go back to their source and never fill up the oceans. The wind just continues blowing around and around on its circuit. Man continues to work and toil, and nothing seems to change. Solomon is pondering, why does work matter? Why do we matter? What do we do in our life? And I want to look through this book of Ecclesiastes to understand Solomon's viewpoint, and in fact, God's viewpoint on why work matters. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we can understand one of the reasons why work matters. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and we'll begin in verse 9. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life, and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shield to which you are going. Solomon tells us that we were made to produce, that we work and we work because when we die, that's, that's not what we do. When we go to Sheol, which is death, there is no work, there is no knowledge, there is no production. We were made to produce on this earth, and that's why we work. Work gives us something to fill our time, it gives us something to do so that we can be productive as we see. And throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes of the things that God has created and made. God has created all these things that we see around us, and everything that he has created is good. And that includes work and toil. When we're work, we're using those gifts, the, ta- the skills that God has given us, so that we can be productive, so that we can glorify God, so that we can do something instead of being lazy or slothful. And in Ecclesiastes 4, 4 through 5, we see what laziness becomes. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hand and eats his own flesh. Solomon is saying in this passage that the wrong reason to work is because I look over and see what my neighbor has. I shouldn't be working because I am jealous someone has a better car than I have and I, I just want a better car. I shouldn't be working because someone has a better house than I have, and I just want that house. That's not a reason to work. That's that's jealousy. And as Solomon says, that's vanity and striving after the wind. You're never going to be able to overcome that jealousy if you you push yourself by it. 
In verse 5, we see what happens when laziness or, or slothfulness comes in, that the fool folds his hand and eats his own flesh. I, I really enjoy this image because it's the image of someone who doesn't work and he's just sitting there and all of a sudden he gets hungry. Well, because he doesn't work, he doesn't have any food and so he eats his own flesh. When we don't work or when we work for the wrong reason, we realize that it's not meant to be that way. We work because it helps us to be productive for God. It helps us to use the gifts He gives us. And it helps us to please Him. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to skip over there for just a minute. In Ephesians chapter 4, we see another reason why we are, are meant to work. Ephesians chapter 4, and beginning in verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We work so that we have the ability to help. I love this passage in Ephesians because he's saying the thief who was doing wrong, who was stealing, who wasn't working honestly, now when he works has the opportunity to instead of taking from someone, he can give to someone. He can help someone. We work so that we have this opportunity and ability to be benevolent. Because if I work, then I have something to give. And if I don't work, then I can't give. This is also an idea in Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes 11, verse 1 through 3, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. What this passage is telling us that when we are benevolent, when we do help others, we don't know the impact it can have. Just like a cloud that is full of rain, it empties itself and hits so many areas of land. It doesn't just hit one little specific point or one little area. It covers a wealth of ground. And if a tree falls, it doesn't get to pick and choose where it falls. It just falls and there it lies. And the nutrients from that tree help the ground around it. When we're benevolent, when we're helpful to others, we don't know the impact it can have. We don't know what we're able to do except for that first step. That we work so that we can help others. So that we can guide others to God through our benevolence. Finally, back in Ecclesiastes, I, I apologize for flipping back and forth. I, I tried to find as many passages in Ecclesiastes so we could stay there, but it just didn't seem to work out that way. Uh, finally, back in Ecclesiastes, we understand perhaps the most important reason why we work. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, in verse 24, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the busyness of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. Verse 25 stands out for me, for apart from him, who can eat or have enjoyment? We work, or we were made to praise God with our work. Because apart from God, we can't have enjoyment. We can't have food. Because He is the one who gives it to us. 
This is an idea that is, is talked about all throughout Ecclesiastes. In chapter 3 and verse 12, we see, For I, I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. We were made to praise God with our work. We were made to fear God because we see all that he has done. And one of the things he has done is instill the opportunity to work in our lives. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 19, it tells us that God gives us the gift of joy through seeing the works we have been able to accomplish by him. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy in his heart. When we praise God with our work, we're not going to be concerned by how much we're getting. We're not going to be concerned by our elevation status. Because when we're praising God, God is going to fill our hearts. We're going to be happy to be able to produce for God. We're going to be happy to be benevolent for God. We're going to praise God because he has given us the gift of working. But now that we've understand why work matters, we have to look at what does God expect. Turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. There are many passages that are very similar in the New Testament, partly because they are written by Paul and Paul tends to repeat himself to different churches because that's what they need. But in Ephesians chapter 6, we read this, starting in verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. God expects submissive workers. Now this is what I mean, and, and please don't misunderstand me. Submission is not an act of cowardice or weakness. This is not rolling over because of fear of man. Submission is all about my attitude. It's all about my position that I've been given and how I react to that position. It requires me to set aside my ego and my pride and understand that there is a job set before me and I have a job to do. That's what submission means. Submission means I recognize who my superiors are in my workforce and I listen to them. I submit to their wills or to what they want to do because they're trying to hopefully work for the better of, their, of, the, of the, the job. Submission is all about an attitude. And it doesn't mean I can never speak up or I can never maybe provide a better way of doing something. But it means I am not grumbling or complaining about the task that is given to me. It means I am not constantly second-guessing what my superiors are doing. It means I don't care what my coworkers are doing. I'm going to do my job. And submission is mentioned multiple times in the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. 
Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. One of the reasons we are supposed to submit as workers is for God. Because when we submit, when we show submission, God's teaching can't be reviled. No one can look at me and say, well, I know what Christians are like because Zach's acting up again today. They should be able to look at us and say, you know, he's, he's doing his job. He's not grumbling or complaining. I guess I can't really say anything about that. Titus chapter 2, bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. <coughs> Again, the main idea behind being submissive in work is so that we can exemplify God's teaching so that we can exemplify what God expects of us. And he expects us to be submissive. And finally, in 1 Peter chapter 2, servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is the gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for you, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is, gracious, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And then you'll have to forgive me, I meant to lop off my notes at the end. But Peter is again showing us the role submission has in Christ's life. One of the strongest examples we have of submission is Christ, who came down from heaven, submitting to his Father's will so that he could save us, so that he could give the world an opportunity to be saved. So that's why when we do good, when we suffer because of our submission, it's a gracious thing in the sight of God because his own Son did that. God expects submissive workers, and like I said before, it's not always easy because of the people we have around us, because sometimes our bosses aren't the kindest people. Sometimes our bosses demand so much of us and expect more of us because, well, they know we're Christians. Maybe they mock us or make fun of us because of our faith. Maybe they constantly schedule us to work on days where we're supposed to be worshiping. Sometimes it's not hard to submit to that kind of leadership. But one of the things that makes us different from the bondservants in the passages in the New Testament is that we do have opportunities to change. That if our work is causing a detriment to our spiritual life, to our faith, we have an opportunity to change and work somewhere else if we so choose. But again, the reason behind submission is not just because someone is upset with me or someone is being mean to me. Submission is about my, my attitude or my actions in work. Instead of holding a grudge because someone's wronged me in my work, because someone has hurt me or second-guessing my employers at every turn, I should just be doing the tasks that are set before me, that they have given me a job to complete, and I'm going to complete that task. Instead of slacking off because I feel overlooked, because I feel like I'm working really hard and I'm not getting anything for it, I'm just going to continue to work hard. I'm going to continue to do the jobs before me, even if that means I don't get as much accolades or, or praise as someone else. Instead of complaining, again, because my work coworkers aren't doing as much as I'm doing in my eyes, I'm going to ignore them. I'm going to do the work set before me. That's what submission is in our jobs. It's getting rid of those negative and hurtful attitudes to our work and pushing forward so we get the tasks done before us. God expects submissive workers. Now turn with me, if you will, back to Colossians chapter 4. 
Colossians chapter 4, please. In Colossians chapter 4, in the very first verse, we see another expectation that God has. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. God expects kind superiors. Some of us have been blessed by God to be in a position of authority. We have been blessed by God to be raised up in our work status, in our workforce, and we have people under us that we get to tell what to do, so to speak. What God expects is that we use our authority in the way that he would use his. Again, in chapter 4, verse 1, masters are kind and just because they have a master they respond to. This does not mean that people in authority cannot use their authority to be, make sure the job is being done. What it means is that it shouldn't be an unkind motive to forcing someone to do something. It shouldn't be because, well, I just don't like the way they came to work today. Or they've been showing up late to work so many times, I'm just going to make sure I, I hassle them for a while. This means kindness in how I go about what I do. Not anger or spite. This means love and care drive me to ask people and get people to fulfill their duties. This is not me just being authoritative because look at me, I'm in this position and I'm better than all these people, so I have the right to tell them what, it, what they should be doing. This means we're fair in how we deal with them. And that includes when wrongdoings come up in work, it means it is a fair judgment. We listen to both sides. We get all the, the information and then we pass a judgment that is fair and just. Back in Ephesians, we see the same idea. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both your, their masters and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Clearly in Ephesus, there was problems with the masters being threatening towards their workers. But what Paul says to them is, that's not how you're supposed to be a master. That's not how you're supposed to get people to work. The same goes for us today, that if we are an employer instead of an employee, we can't be threatening our employees. We can't be making them do their work out of fear. That's not what we're supposed to do, mostly because of what he says next in this passage, that we have someone to answer to as well. And God does not show partiality between those who had authority and those who did not. Everyone's going to be judged the same. Now, I do understand that most of us, if we do have that position, don't think of ourselves as, oh, I'm, I'm an unkind, I'm a rude boss. And most of us probably aren't. But sometimes things happen. I remember when I was in college, I was tasked of being in charge of a society. At the very first outset of that, I thought, oh, I'm going to be a good leader. I'm not going to be mean or rude. But man, then my good friend Pride started to show up. And I started to do things because I was so proud that I was the leader and that people should listen to me and I deserve their respect. And while I didn't intend for things to come out as rude or hurtful, I know they did. I know that I hurt people because I was so proud of where I was at. We may not see ourselves as a, a difficult boss at the beginning, but we can get there if we're not careful. Sometimes I can be a mean boss because my pride just grows and grows. I've been doing so well. My company is flourishing. Man, it's all because of me. Sometimes I can be a mean boss because I just feel ignored or disrespected. That my people just aren't listening to me. 
They're not doing their work. And I just have to be firm and I have to maybe make them afraid so that they get their job done. God doesn't expect firm and mean employers. He expects kind and just superiors. Now we also have to think that if we have been blessed with this position of authority, God is giving us a wonderful opportunity. Because in that position of authority, you have people who work with you every single day. People who work under you that you can impact for the good of God. Imagine this. If you go to work every day as a, as a superior or as a manager, and everyone sees you being a Christian, being kind to every single employee, no matter how low they may seem on a totem pole, so to speak. Judging fairly when things happen at work. And not just going with the side that you think is best. If people begin to see that and work and understand that that's because your values are Christ-like, could you imagine the impact that has on their life? The times they may come up to you and ask, why do you believe what you believe? Why do you act the way you do? A person in authority has this wonderful opportunity before them. And if we look at it that way, if we look at it in a way where God can use me in this position to further his kingdom, it's going to be hard to become anything but a kind superior. God expects these kind superiors just as much as he expects submissive workers. And the final thing we see that God expects is something that he expects of all people who are working, regardless of their position. And back in Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse 22. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. God expects dedicated and sincere workers. No matter what stage of life or position we are in, God expects workers who are sincere and heartily working. In this passage, one of my favorite phrases is when he says, not by the way of eye service or people pleasing. This means I'm not working just to show people that I'm working. I'm not working just to hear the praise from other people. That's not why I work. I work because God expects me to work sincerely and full-heartedly, giving 100% to what I'm doing. Now, we do have to understand this doesn't mean that I can never take breaks, that I can never relax, because that would be a difficult job in itself to just work, 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 and never get a moment's peace. But what this does mean is that when I do have a job set before me, that job is going to be done to the best of my ability. That job is going to be completed as best I can do it. And I'm not going to cut corners or slack off. All I can do is control myself and my work. I can't control what my peers are doing. I can't control how they're going about their jobs. But I know that I can control myself to make myself work as hard as I can at what I'm doing. Because that's what God expects of me. And back in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, we read, If bondservants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, 
not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, that he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bond servant or is free. We work hard as if we were working for Christ directly. Could you imagine the change in our jobs if we immediately started thinking, you know, Christ is my boss. What would Christ expect of his worker? Am I doing enough to please Christ with how I'm acting? When we start to think of it that way, when we start to position ourselves to understand as Christians we work for God first and foremost, then nothing but our best should be given out. One of the reasons we do good work is because of this idea in verse 8 that we know that however much we do or what we do, the way we do it, God's going to reward us or punish us justly. That if we slack off, if we cut corners, well, that may be okay in this world, but God will know that and God will judge us for what we do. I don't know about you, but with my work, I want to make sure that God knows I'm working 100%, knows I'm giving a full and sincere effort, because that's what he deserves. I work with a sincere heart completely given to the work before me, but that's not always possible or easy. Sometimes I'm really tired. Sometimes I'm really worn out. And man, nothing would, I would like better than sitting down and watching sports. And just looking at highlights, going over stats, and really immersing myself into something I enjoy. In those days, especially sometimes those Fridays where it's the end of the week and I'm so excited to just have a, have a weekend where I can spend some time with my wife. Man, I'm shooting for that weekend. And all of a sudden that, that 100% effort, that sincere effort starts to dwindle because I'm focusing on something else. It's hard sometimes to give this 100%. But that's what God expects of us. And doesn't it feel good to give 100%? Doesn't it feel good to get done with the task and look at it and think, I did my best with that. I worked really hard and I finished it. It's completed. We may not get praise for what we've done. We may not get congratulations because we did a good job. But we know that we can sit back and say, I did my best. That's all that people can ask of me. That's all that I am asked of. Sometimes it's hard to give that 100% effort, that sincere effort, because of the society we live in. We have so many distractions today in our lives. We've got our phones. I know oftentimes my phone is sitting right there on my desk. And if I am not putting it on do not disturb, or even just putting it in my bag, well, it starts to creep up on me. I start to see all the notifications popping up, some texts that I've gotten. I start to think, well, maybe I should handle that. Maybe I should get on that. And suddenly I'm about 30, 35 minutes down and I've just spent my time on my phone. Our society is very much a distraction society. There is so much that can grab our attention like that and keep our attention for a little bit. We have to be careful not to let that eat into how we work or the effort we give in our work. God expects this type of worker. He expects submissive workers. He expects kind employers. He expects dedicated and sincere workers. And when we go into our jobs understanding that, 
then we can be the best example Christ wants us to be. We can be the best worker God wants us to be. And God will see it, and God will judge us for our effort. I appreciate your attention this morning. We'll be dismissed for our classes.